Well, thank you, Pastor, and good morning. I'll invite you to join me in 1 Kings chapter 3 this morning. It is an honor to be here and a special day for us. I want to thank you for the invitation. It is, it is really a privilege to be here and to thank you and to thank you as a church family for the way that you have embraced our son, Andrew, and our daughter-in-law, uh, Jess. Jess's dad and I were talking recently about what a blessing it is to see the two of them serving the Lord together. And so we're grateful for you. Thank you for investing in them and loving them and giving them a great church home. Andrew's in a little bit of trouble this morning. He did not tell us about the biscuit fundraiser, and so we missed out on the biscuits. Um, but Louisville is a special, special place for my wife, Julie, and I. When Andrew was just over a year old and our daughter was three, our son, Evan, who's here this morning, was not born yet, we packed up and moved here to attend seminary. And my first visit to Louisville was a few months earlier, and we came and trying to decide if this might be where the Lord was calling us to attend seminary. And I'll never forget, on one of your beautiful October days, we got off of I-65 and rode down Eastern Parkway and wove our way through Cherokee Park to the seminary. And in the time it took me to make that drive, I fell in love with this place. And I knew that it was a special place. And we moved here in January. We didn't see the sun in February. In March, you experienced, we experienced uh, one of the worst floods. You'll remember it, 1997, uh, the historic flood in Louisville. And I realized at that point why the seminary had preview day in October and not in the winter. But we had a great experience here and loved it. And it's such a special place. And we're really thankful and happy that we have a great reason to visit and come this fall, uh, Lord willing, another great reason to visit and it's just a special place for us. And so on this Mother's Day, uh, I'm thankful to be here. I want to wish all the mothers here a happy Mother's Day, including my mother, who's watching from home in South Georgia as she and my dad tune in most every Sunday and watch you to keep up with the grandkids, Jess and Andrew. And like many of you, I'm thankful for my mother's love and her support, her encouragement, uh, her godly example and her walk with the Lord and her godly wisdom, which is a topic that we're going to look at this morning in 1 Kings chapter 3 as we examine the prayer of a well-known Old Testament king named Solomon. It was a prayer and an experience that Solomon had that changed his life. And we can draw some principles from this Old Testament account that still hold true today. I'll begin reading in verse 5 of 1 Kings chapter 3, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. 
and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? If we flipped back just a few pages, one page, or if we scrolled up, we would read about the events that brought Solomon to this point. His father David has died after 40 years on the throne ruling Israel. He's made a name for himself, not only as a king, but as a great warrior David has. As a young man, he's killed the giant Goliath and he's defeated the Philistines. He's made Jerusalem the capital of a country that he has reunited. He has, it says in the book of Psalms, gone from shepherding the sheep to shepherding God's people. And he's done it with the integrity of his heart and he's done it with skillful hands. God has called him a man after his own heart. And despite the sin and the shortcomings of David, God has made an eternal covenant with him and promised that he will have an eternal kingdom that was fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. And now, the great King David has been laid to rest. And into this leadership vacuum, his son Solomon, estimated to be around 20 years old, has taken the throne. Imagine yourself in that position, the position of Solomon trying to fill the shoes of his father David. Solomon needs a word from the Lord. In verse five, the scripture says, the Lord appears to him in a dream and notice that God does not say to Solomon, Solomon, this is, this is what you need and this is what you need to do. One, two, three, four, five, here's the list, go do it. Instead, God says, Solomon, what do you really want? What do you what do you want me to give you? How would you answer that question? So many ways that could be answered, right? We could say money, free time, the attention, the adoration of others, career fulfillment, family prosperity, status, the end of the pandemic. There's so many ways that we could give good answers to this question. Some of us, walking with Jesus, seeking his will, might say revival knowing his will. But it's also possible that the answers that we give with our mouths might not be reflected in the way that we live our lives. Many of us have a true desire to follow the Lord, to look after the things of God. But as evidenced by both David and by Solomon later in his life, it's so easy to be distracted by the things of the world in a book that's popular called Faith for Exiles, the writer has a quote that says, those of us who long to keep Jesus at the center of our lives constantly fight the centrifugal force of a world spinning us away from him. Don't you find that to be an appropriate image? That the world is spinning us away from the things of God and from life in Jesus and we're holding on to him. Where do we turn? God asked this open-ended question of Solomon, and I believe there are some great truths that you and I can learn from Solomon's response. Solomon, who could have at this point asked for anything, says in verse six, you have shown great 
and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, in uprightness of heart toward you, and you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. The first thing that Solomon does in his response is to remember God's faithfulness and grace and mercy in the past. That's a great starting place for us. Solomon looks back to David. He says, you've shown him great and steadfast love. You've made promises and you've kept them. You and I can look back at the pages of Scripture and we can see men and women of faith throughout the Old Testament the New Testament. Hebrews 11 gives us a whole list of people and Hebrews 12 calls them a great cloud of witnesses. We can look at the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus and remember his amazing grace. We look at the scripture, but we can also look back through the history of the church and we see in the lives of those who have walked before us, men and women of God who remind us of God's faithfulness and grace and mercy, ordinary people that God has used in extraordinary ways. And then, of course, those of us who are followers of Christ can look back and remember the ways that he has been faithful and loving and merciful to us in our own lives, how in good times and bad times, God has guided, directed, encouraged, strengthened us even in tough, difficult times, times of grief and sorrow and heartache, God is still at work and we can look back and see how he has brought us through those times. Remembering is a constant theme in the Old Testament. It was an important part of their worship. God would, would tell them at different times to gather up rocks at different places so that they would remember what God did in those places when they passed by them. You and I have those same kinds of rocks in our lives, mile markers that remind us of God's work. I know for me, I can't make the trip from Florida to Kentucky without remembering specific ways in which God has worked in my life, in our family's life, Mile markers along the way, his call, his faithfulness, his love, his provision. And I know that all of you who are following Christ, if you were standing here this morning, you could give testimony in the same way of not only his constant love and faithfulness, but of special times and places in which God met your needs and provided to you in a faithful and a special way. That's what Solomon does here as he prays for wisdom he remembers God's faithfulness, love, grace, mercy in the past. And then beginning in verse 7, he recognizes his need in the presence. In the present. He says, and now, verse 7, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Just imagine the range of emotions that Solomon might be experiencing He's made his way seven miles from Jerusalem to an important place of worship for the people called Gibeon. All the things that he must be thinking along the way, the excitement, the anticipation, the nervous energy, his time is here, his time is now, the questions that have to be rattling around in his head. His words in verse seven give us some idea of Solomon's 
frame of mind. He says, I am but a child. Actually, he's about 20 years old. Scripture doesn't say exactly, but that can be deduced from some of the events of the day. I don't know how, he says, to go out or come in. These are not the words of an arrogant or a boastful heart. These are the words of a humble man. Solomon may call himself a little child, but he knows that he faces challenges from within and challenges from without. If he looks within his own family, he sees the threat of betrayal. He knows that there's the potential for others to overthrow him and even kill him. If he looks around his country, he faces the economic challenges of a leader who has visions and goals that must be funded. He's got a relatively young government that he's leading that needs money to operate. If he looks at the borders, he sees the enemies lining up to see any sign of weakness or instability that they might attack. He recognizes his great need in the present and in his words we see that his prayer for wisdom is accompanied by a spirit of humility. Where there is no humility, there can be no wisdom. And he's already referred to himself as God's servant in verse 7. And now in verse 8, he says, Your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. Have you ever wondered if you were up to the task? If you could face the challenges ahead of you, if you could fill the shoes of those who have gone before you, if you could overcome the obstacles, if you could triumph over the trials, or if you could just simply make it through another day. I can remember being in the second grade and my teacher, Ms. Hayes, telling us about the students in her husband's class. Uh, he taught in middle school. Back then it was junior high. And she told us that he would talk and the students would be responsible for writing down what he said. Basically, she was just telling us that we would have to take notes. But as a second grader, at Lake Drive Elementary School in Tifton, Georgia. I understand you spent some time in Tifton, Georgia. At that elementary school, that was the most terrifying news in the world to me. The teacher was going to talk, and I just had to write it down. And I can remember lying awake and thinking, I'll never make it through junior high. I'm not up to this challenge. I need help. The thoughts that were running through my head, I haven't been writing this that long. I, I can't write that fast. I write in big letters. I've got this big fat pencil. Sometimes I get my B's and D's mixed up. I'm left-handed for crying out loud. Any left-handers here? You know the struggle. You don't hold your pencil right. You need to do it this way. I'm thinking I'll never make it through junior high. How about you? Have you been through, are you going through times when you thought you weren't up to the challenge? I've often thought back to that second grade experience when I have faced far, far greater challenges. It helps my perspective. What a silly thing for me to be worried about, but those fears of failure, of letting people down, seemed so real to me as a little boy. That has helped me as I have faced far, far more serious 
challenges and far, far greater needs. Whether you are in second grade or 77, whether you are a child, a teenager, a mother, a father, grandparents, facing uncertainty in your job or your career, facing significant health issues, Jesus offers hope and strength and wisdom. And through his death on the cross and his resurrection, which we sang about this morning, he has provided a way for all who place their faith and trust, a confidence in him. If they turn to him as Savior and Lord, in that new life that he provides, we experience grace and peace and forgiveness and strength to face far greater challenges than we think possible because his grace is sufficient. His grace is more than sufficient, more than enough. As Solomon lies down for the night at Gibeon, it seems that he has some of these same thoughts, possibly, of inadequacy, of not measuring up. It's easy for us to look back. After all, we have the benefit of hindsight. We know how his story ends and say, well, of course he was up for the challenge. He's Solomon. But at this time, at Gibeon, as a 20-year-old drifting off to sleep, maybe with a rock as a pillow, I'm sure he felt the uncertainty of an unknown future. It's a part of every stage of life and in every age of time, but it seems amplified right now, the uncertainty. The uncertainty of our day as we look around at things that are happening in our country And as we see all that's going on, it just seems to be an amplification of uncertainty. What is going to happen next for Solomon and for us? The challenges are great, but God is far greater. The key question in this passage, if you were just reading it for the first time and you stopped right here after verse 8, is this. Will Solomon recognize his true need now that God has promised to give him whatever he wants? What is Solomon going to ask for? And Solomon says, verse 9, Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this your great people? Here's the thing. If Solomon asked for wisdom, it's proof that he at least had a little bit, right? To ask for wisdom means you have to have a little bit to even ask for it. It takes wisdom to ask for wisdom, especially when you could ask for anything that you wanted. Solomon's very clear. I need wisdom. This translation calls it an understanding mind. Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. It's been said that wisdom is walking in God's ways through God's world. You and I are walking in God's ways, prayerfully, hopefully, walking in God's ways through God's world. That's what Solomon needs, and almost 3,000 years later, that's what you and I need. He says to God, I want to be obedient to you, and to do that, I need an understanding mind to govern your people, not just a mind that's filled with information, that's filled with knowledge, but with knowledge that can be applied, that's wisdom, The ability to to discern between good and evil, that's wisdom. For who, Solomon says, is able to govern this great people? In other words, without your help, God, this job is way, way above my pay grade. That's what Solomon says. 
His prayer for wisdom is like our prayer for wisdom should be today. It has a goal in mind. And the goal is to accomplish what God has called us to do. I hope that's your prayer today. That you would be able to accomplish what God has called you to do. And God answers this prayer of Solomon so that he can govern the people. Which is what God has called him to do. And it's a good thing that Solomon, or that God answers Solomon also because as soon as Solomon gets back to Jerusalem, in the passage right after the passage that we're looking at this morning, it tells us that two women come to him with a baby. Many of you are familiar with this story. They come to him with a baby and one of the women says, this is my baby, and the other says, no, it's my baby. And now that he's King Solomon, not just David's little boy, he's got, he can't just throw up his hands and say, I don't know how to go out or come in. Whether he thought he was ready or not, whether he thought he could fulfill his duties or not, it was time for him to make a decision. And you and I face the same thing. We have to make decisions, big, life-changing decisions sometimes, little, mindless, everyday decisions at other times, decisions that we just think will never go away, but we're making these big decisions and, and small decisions as well. We need wisdom, insight, discernment, the ability to see things from his perspective and to walk in the power and the strength that he provides. Solomon had to make a decision because of what Christ has done for us. Followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit in us and allows God to work through us. And so for Solomon, his decision in this case with these women is to order that the baby be cut in half. You get half, you get half. And one of the ladies says, okay, fine, do it. The other lady says, oh no, just give the baby to her. And Solomon, of course, says, that proves that you're the real mother of this child. And he gives the baby to her. And this chapter closes with a verse that says, when the people heard the verdict, when they heard Solomon's decision, they held him in awe because the, they saw that he had the wisdom from God to govern the people. He had the wisdom of God to govern the people that God had granted him. Even more important than the approval of the people was God's response beginning in verse 10. In verse 10, it says, it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this and you have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. God, who is so rich in mercy, pours out his blessing on Solomon. He says, I'll give you riches and honor, things you didn't ask for, and not only will I give you wisdom, I'll give you more than anyone before you or after you. And Solomon, despite all of those riches, goes on to write extensively in the book of Proverbs 
about wisdom, and he says it's more valuable than gold. It's more valuable than rubies. It's more valuable than all the precious jewels you could imagine. In fact, he says, nothing you desire compares to wisdom. We live certainly in a world today that could use some common sense, but it's also in great need of some uncommon wisdom. And the good news for us is that God makes wisdom available to us. In the passage that was read from James earlier, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. Think about that. Sometimes we make simple things complicated. Don't you find that to be true? We take simple things and we make them complicated. This seems pretty simple. Why do we make it so complicated? If any of you lacks wisdom, that's a nice way for James to say everybody. Who lacks it? Well, if you think you don't, that's just proof that you do. So what do you do? You ask God. He gives generously and without reproach. And the God of King Solomon, who graciously answered his prayer for wisdom, will also answer our prayer for wisdom. That's a cause for rejoicing. And that's exactly what Solomon does in verse 15. Solomon awoke from this dream, from this prayer that he's given, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came to Jerusalem, and he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and he offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Solomon has experienced revival in Gibeon. He has remembered what God has done in the past. He has recognized with humility his great need in the present. And now he rejoices over what God has promised for the future. And nothing in his circumstances has changed. He has not been teleported through time and space to a place where all of his troubles have disappeared and all of his big decisions have happened in the past. Wisdom, God's perspective, helps him in the midst of this to rejoice in confident, confident expectation. On Christmas Day in 1939, Great Britain was on the brink of World War II. And King George VI, in a tradition that continues to this day, the Queen still gives a Christmas Day address. On that day, Christmas Day in 1939, King George VI gave his address to the British people. And so as the entire nation huddled around their radios with the uncertainty of war looming, the king quoted a poem from a British woman who had written years before, and it said this, I said to the man who stood at the gate of the new year, give me a light that I can walk safely into the unknown. And the man said to me, go and put your hand in the hand of God, and it will be to you better than a light and safer than the known. Better than the light, safer than the known. When we put our hands in the hands of God, you and I can pray earnestly and fervently for wisdom. 
a prayer that God has promised to answer. And we can walk confidently into the unknown, knowing that his power is at work within us. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? As we close this morning, I would ask you to respond in a couple of ways. First, I invite you to remember God's love and his faithfulness, his mercy and his grace. Even if you're not a follower of Christ, he has been merciful to you. He has given you a chance this morning to turn away from your sin and to turn to him, accepting the death of his son on the cross as the payment for your sin. And then I invite you to recognize your need in the present, to just acknowledge the needs that you have in your life right now. Ask for wisdom to make decisions, to overcome temptation, to face the challenges of life that you're going through. And then finally, to rejoice in his promise to answer prayers. Lord, we thank you that we can look to the past and see in the pages of scripture, in the history of the church, in our own lives, how you have worked in great and mighty ways and how you have proven to be faithful and loving and just. We thank you that we can recognize our needs in the present and in spite of all that we face, not be overwhelmed by them, but to know that your grace is sufficient for us and that you provide us what we need and that your mercies are new every morning. And then we thank you that we can praise now your name for what you've done now, what you will do in the future. And we can walk into that future with the confidence that you are leading us and guiding us and strengthening us. And I pray for this church. I pray that it would continue to be a light in this community, that it would continue to draw others to you. I pray that you give them strength and confidence, mercy and love. Give them wisdom, both as a church and individually, as you know that we all need. And so we ask fervently for it. And we pray in your name. Amen.